Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the last weekend of summer. Such a joyous message, right? <laughs> this is one of those strange holidays that half the people love, and the other half are just like, ugh, Labor Day again. Ugh. My name is Jacqueline Snape. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life. Uh, welcome to those of you that are here. And if you're online, newlife.nyc or one of the platforms, welcome as well. Um, love to meet you if this is your first or second time here. Before you leave, please don't leave without dropping by and just saying hello so we can welcome you more personally. So we have been in a series on the lexicon of faith. Um, the past seven weeks have been beautiful. Today is the last day. It is week eight. Um, and so we've been talking through all kinds of topics, anywhere from the gospel all the way through confession and what that looks like in our lives. And lexicon is this, it's, this, it's a kind of common term, you know, not an uncommon term. Um, but it actually just means like a body of language or terms that are shared by a group of people. It could be uh, carpenters, it could be firefighters, it could be um, doctors, lawyers. And there's a language that they have that we're not all attuned to. And so I have some personal experience with this. When my daughter was nine years old, um, she decided that she was going to kind of create a lexicon. And so she started with one word. And that word was jagatism. So raise your hand if you know what jagatism means. No? No? Okay, so jagatism, she told us, jagatism means something that makes no sense. Jagatism, something that makes no sense. So already for all you teachers, get the irony, right, is a nine-year-old is creating a language and her first word means something that makes no sense. Okay, you get that, right? And so she would share it with us inside, and she, every time something would happen, she's like, oh, that's jagatism. It had verb forms, it's jagativistic, all these things. They're like, okay. So when we would go out, one time she would write the word on a sheet of paper, and she'd put it on the wind, window of the car. So that onlookers, of course, they're going to get into this thing. Of course, they have no idea what it means, but that didn't matter. She put it up there, and we would get all these strange looks. You know, people looking, they're frowning, all these questionable looks. I mean, did they think we were kidnapping her? I don't know. This is her cry for help. I wasn't sure. But anyway, that was her attempt at trying to begin a lexicon for us. Now, in this series, you know, we, we've all heard of a lot of the terms that we've talked about over these few weeks, right? And so we're not trying to suggest that what you know is not true. What we are trying to offer is a possible um, thought for you to, to, to wrestle with, which is that you may not know all there is to what that term means, right? And so I think it's similar to this idea of a packing cube. Some of you love packing cubes, and some of you hate packing cubes. But the idea of a packing cube is that you agree to limit yourself. Right? You agree to limit yourself. If this is a packing cube for my shirts, this is the world of shirts that I have. There are no other shirts available to me. All that there is, the world of shirts, exists in this cube. And so when I travel, that's it. I have my shirts. And so sometimes I think we apply this to our spiritual lives as well. We find out one thing about a term, 
or scripture, and we live our lives as though there could not be anything else to that term. And I think that God wants to expand our, our thoughts a little bit and help us to realize that there's so much more. Like he's a God of wonder, he's a God of imagination, a God of mystery. And so instead of the pack and cube theology that we live by, I think he wants us to see something that looks more like this. <laughs> to think of your spiritual life as so vast, as so huge, that not only can you fit into it, but somebody else could fit into it with you. That's the spiritual life, right? We cannot figure out all of our God, and we can never say, I know all there is to know about him. So today we're going to be talking about the topic of salvation, um, and I believe that it, it kind of encompasses a lot of what we've talked about up to now, and the text that we'll be reading from is Acts 4, verses 9 through 12, and so you can follow along on the screen, um, or you can read, of course, from your own Bible. And just the setup from this, um, this is the beginning of the church of Acts. Um, and Peter and John, they're, they're, they're a street evangelists, right? So they go around and they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ all over, you know, performing miracles as, as Jesus has uh, asked them to do, and all kinds of wonderful things are happening. And so they come to the temple gate, the temple called Beautiful, and they meet this man that is always placed at the foot of the gate. Um, and he has, a, he has a physical disability, and so he's there to look for donations. And so the, the famous line goes, you know, Peter says to him, he says, look at me, and he says, silver and gold, I have none, right? Um, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And so after that moment, the authorities come and they seize Peter and John and they throw them into jail for the weekend. And when they call them into account, like, what are you doing? This is Peter's response. Peter, in verse 9, he says, look, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you build is rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name unto heaven, under heaven given to mankind by which we shall be saved. So let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, take us into mystery, help us to find you there, and to allow what you give us to seep into our lives and for transformation to occur. In Jesus' name, amen. I find that Acts 4 is similar to another scene that played out earlier in Scripture. Remember when Jesus was preaching and the local authorities began to see things happening and people are following him and the anxiety rises? They too seized him, right? And they begin to question him. And so on one hand, Peter and John are experiencing the Sadducees who, when the, Peter and John talked about resurrection, the Sadducees were angry. They were furious because they did not believe in resurrection. And then on the other side, you have the other group that they're furious because Peter is talking about salvation 
in the name of Jesus. Not in the name of religious leaders, not in the name of governmental leaders, but in the name of Jesus. Now you have to understand, this is at this point, they're fed up, right? They already saw that, they already saw the crucifixion of Jesus and they thought, finally this thing is gonna settle down, it's gonna quiet down and we'll get back to business as usual. And we know exactly the opposite happens, right? The church explodes. More and more people are hearing about this Jesus of Nazareth, and so now they're just, they're just done. They're done with this, and they want to close this loop for once and for all. Because the challenge to them, to the leaders, the authorities, was that even though Jesus was not a political leader, he changed his words, came to change and shake up everything about the political system. Everything about the economic system. Jesus never said he was a sociologist, but he came and he redefined family. He spoke of the, the family of Jesus Christ. He redefined what society is all about. No wonder they were furious. No wonder they wanted to throw them in jail and silence them. They had just had enough. But Peter was not in any way, he wasn't, he wasn't swayed, he wasn't tentative, he wasn't frightened. He speaks very forcefully to the crowd, very forcefully to them. And he says, look, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become now the cornerstone. By your very actions, he's become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, not in your power, not in anything you do, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This, friends, is a scandal. It's a scandal. And theologian Joel Green, he talks about Jesus' reign and what that looked like. He says, Jesus is king. And as a king, he is the one who decisively demonstrates the nature of the kingdom that is, his kingship exhibits and defines the nature of royal power. This royal authority and power was not like what we see amongst those who rule the Gentiles or their high-ranking officials who show off their authority and order them around. Rather, Jesus demonstrates through his ministry that royal power is defined by its orientation to the marginal, to the least, and to the lost. No one in authority wanted to hear this. Would you, if you were them? And so the question for us is, when it comes down to it, in our everyday lives, on Wednesday, on Thursday evening, when things are not going right, what do you put your salvation in? What do you grab for or reach for that you think is going to save you? Are you thinking about education? Are you thinking about your financial status? Is it family members? Is it your friends? What stands in the place of salvation for you? Because we know that life can be very challenging. And even as believers, there's a tendency to gravitate to something else, right? to save me, and to bring me out of my troubles. There are many definitions for the word salvation, and all of them are valid, and all of them are good, um, but I love this one that um, mystic and theologian Howard Thurman posits. It's very simple. 
He says that salvation is reestablishing one's sense of belonging. Salvation is reestablishing one's sense of belonging. And what I love about that, I love the word reestablishing. Because what it says to me is that God has already established this between me and him. It already existed. And maybe I drifted. Maybe I moved. But he already established this, this long trail of connection. And through salvation, he brings me back to himself. Back to home. And the image that I think of is the prodigal son when I think about this. You know the story. The son um, of a wealthy man, and he finally decides, hey, you know what? I'm going to do things my own way. I'm going to take my dad's inheritance prematurely. I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to forge my own way in life. And he does that. And then after a period of time, when he's out of money, things are really bad. Everything is falling apart. Then he realizes, you know what? I could just go back home. Like, I could go back to my dad and things will be better. But imagine in that moment, as he's thinking about going back to his father, what must be on his mind? Shame, um, look what I've done. I've squandered everything. All the inheritance is gone. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? How is he going to respond? And as he walks up and he sees his dad in the distance, instead of seeing what he had in his mind, what he sees is his father running towards him. And he grabs him. And he puts royal robes around him. And then he calls for a celebration because his son is finally home. That's what I think about when I think about salvation. It's this reconnection, father to son, father to daughter, where we can relax and rest in our true home. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? And then the other thing I love about this definition is that it suggests that there's more to salvation than just this singular situation of me and God. That we are not just saved for ourselves, but we're saved for the world. We are saved into a community. We are saved into the family of God. And we have a purpose in the family of God. It's not just that I get saved and, oh, I go up to heaven and all is good. No, I have a purpose in this world, in this new family of Jesus. I have a purpose. And God calls me to do what he has called each of us to do, which is show the love of Christ beyond my own life. And it's also true that salvation, as much as we talk about, I accepted Christ and I did this and I did that, it's not simply about my action and my behavior. A.W. Tozer talks about the moment of salvation in these terms. He says, it is the sovereign right of God to call saints and determine destinies. The sovereign right of God to call saints and determine destinies. The master choice, therefore, is his. The secondary choice is ours. Salvation is from our side a choice. From the divine side, it is a seizing upon, an apprehending, a conquest of the most high God. Our accepting and our willing are reactions rather than actions. 
The right of determination must always rest with God. He is the author of our faith, faith as he must be its finisher. We are not doing this on our own. He, he in his graciousness, in his love, in his mercy, he's the one that even gives us the thought of connecting with him. He creates the moment. He lays the red carpet. He creates the desire. He does it all. And we get, to be, we get to be recipients of this divine work. Again, he reestablishes his connection with his children. But we also know that as beautiful as the moment of salvation is, think about your own salvation, you know, when you accepted Christ, right? Beautiful moment, joy, peace, you know, a measure of kind of like, I think of it as like exhaling, because you're finally home. And then the reality also is that life continues. Everything doesn't, everything doesn't fix, does it? Right? Some of you know that there were very difficult things, very difficult challenges that you were facing that same time when you received Christ. And the next day you woke up to those same challenges. They were not gone. They did not go away. And sometimes... Sometimes they even got worse, right? And so it's in these times that we have to remember salvation, we have been saved. We are also being saved, and we will be saved. And that being saved situation is where God, as our finisher, he now brings to us the things needed in our daily walk. He's the one that sits with us, that nurtures us, that gathers ourselves, gathers us to himself, and helps us to survive all the challenging things that can come up. Because when life intervenes and difficult things happen, some of you know, we get discouraged, right? We can feel like, is it even true? Does God really care? Is he really listening? Was this all just some kind of scam? Was this, you know, like, your mind plays tricks on you, doesn't it? You just begin to wonder. And maybe some of you are right there right now. You believe that you were saved. You believe that you accepted Christ, but you can't understand why is this happening to me? Why does it continue to happen? Why is it ending? Why isn't the solution there? Why am I still struggling with my marriage? Why am I struggling with my finances? Why am I struggling with my relationships? Why does this continue? And it can be very defeating. But that's when we need to remember that Jesus is our finisher. Our salvation process, it is an ongoing. Because although that we are saved Adam in a moment from the power of sin and death, which is true, we are also being saved every day from the grip of sin that exists in our world. We are not immune. But he teaches us and he holds us, and he gathers us, and he helps us each and every day to walk through this, to be a demonstration of his love to others in humility, to be able to share out of our experiences, 
and help other people know that he is a gracious, loving, and constant God. And so the question for you may be, well, all of this may be so, and and if this is so, then, hey, I don't know, what do I do now? Like, what do I do? I'm in this space, what do I do? How do I manage to do this day-to-day living? The moment has passed, and how do I live day-to-day? And that's what I would say to you, look at all and listen to all of the things that have been shared with you over these past number of weeks. Every sermon has fruit. Every sermon has something that we need to gather unto ourselves and we need to remember because every day is not Sunday. Monday comes. Wednesday at 4 o'clock comes. And trials happen. Difficult things happen. People that you have to work with, they're still at work. Lo and behold, they didn't leave. They're still there. You still have to face them. And you have to figure out, how can I bring God into this? Lord, finisher, my God, my faith is in you. How can I continue to live out my salvation in these situations? And so I say the first thing that we need to learn to do is that we have to remember that sin exists. It may seem simple, but it's not. We have to remember that sin exists. It is a power in our world And only Jesus Christ can shepherd us through what it is to deal with the sin of this world. And because of that, we remind ourselves that the gospel, the gospel is the foundation of everything. Everything, everything you and I have need of is found in the gospel. Jesus does not promise us that we're going to have a perfect life. He doesn't promise us our lives are going to be without trial. In fact, he says you will have trouble, right? But take hold, take faith. So we know we will have struggles, but we have to recognize instead of running to this, to that, to this person, to that substance, to the television, to you know, social media, to all the things that blink and shine in front of our eyes, that we need to run to him. Because he, everything that we have need of, that we truly have need of, we can find in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Amen. None of these other things are gospel. That is the gospel. Everything is found in Jesus Christ. And then we recognize in our faith that we're going to have these difficulties and challenges are going to come, but we have to remember to have faith and trust, have trust in the word of God, have trust in what he has told us, because there'll be many voices, many voices, that will tell you that that is not true, that there is no God that God is not here to to concern himself with you, that God is not going to deliver you, that God is not with you, that God does not love you. And unfortunately, some of those voices come from within ourselves. Not just from the exterior. We say that to ourselves. We say, I'm not worthy. I am not good enough. He's not going to come and rescue me. He may rescue you, but he's not going to rescue me. And that's because we forget that we are his holy chosen people. We are his holy chosen people, not because of something about us, but everything about 
him because Jesus Christ is holy and he has chosen you and he has chosen me and because of that he will never ever leave or forsake us and that turns us to blessing to realize that we can be with him we can be in his presence. We can receive his blessing. We get to sing. We get to read scripture. We get to sit. We get to meditate. All of these are blessings that we can experience with our God, not apart from him, with him, in communion, which is what he desires, that we would make space to be with him in communion, in that place he can strengthen us. He can give us tenacity. He can give us hope. And he can help us to make it just one more day through the trials of this life. And when you begin to disqualify yourself and you begin to think, you know what, I, I've done too much. You know, I've done too much. I know I've done too much. God is done with me. Remember grace. Remember grace. Because God knows you. He knows me. He knows all the mistakes. He knows the failings. He knows the things we've done. He knows the things we've yet to done. He knows the things we put off until next week and then put off to the following week. He knows all of that. And he still says, I see you and I'm calling you. I see you with all of what you perceive are your failures, and I am calling you. I want to be connected to you. And when it feels like you just don't know what to do next, it feels like you just don't know what to say next or how to think about what you have done and the mistakes you've made, the gift of confession is something that we can always access because everything else about our God tells us that we have nothing to fear by confession. Instead of running from confession, we should be running to confession because confession is where the shame is broken off. Confession is where we recognize that we are truly, truly loved not pretend, there's no pretense, this is not imaginary, we are truly loved, and in that moment, he can restore us to our true selves. And that is a gift, friends. Confession is a gift. It is not something to run from. It is not something that we should be ashamed of. So as you look at this list here, Where's the area that you feel that God might be calling you to just, exp just invest a little time in? Is it an understanding of the gospel? Is it grace? Is it sin? Correcting your theology around sin? Because maybe you're, you're thinking so much about yourself, you're not realizing this concept of shalom, vandalized, and what that means in our world. Is it biblical faith and thinking about trust? Is it holiness or blessings? Or is it confession or salvation? Take a moment, just what, which one of those do you think 
that God is inviting you to think more about. Before we have communion, I just want to share, um, share a story with you. Many years ago, um, when we were in a, our previous church, um, there was a young woman, she was probably in her middle 30s or so, and she had been in church all her life, um, and her family, her parents, her grandparents, they were all kind of founding members of this church. Um, and she, she was very capable, she would do things, and she would, you know, she would serve wherever, what committee or whatever was, um, um, was recruiting or looking for support. But the thing was, she was miserable. I do not say that lightly. She was just not happy. And she, on a, she, 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 was, she was, as though she did not even want to be there, but was forced to be there. You know, have you ever seen people like that, that you see them and you're just wondering, well, why don't you do something different, like if this isn't working for you? She was generally, genuinely unhappy. And so her responses to other people in the church were likewise, you know? You would ask, oh, hey, can you, can you slide over and I have that seat? No. <laughs> I, can't, I, don't, I don't kid. It's the, that was the kind of response, like, no, I'm not moving. It was just really puzzling for me, witnessing this with her. And then about 10 years later, um, before we left, about a year prior to when we left, um, there was an altar call. And um, the pastor asked, hey, anybody want to accept Jesus Christ, please come forward. And she said, she came up and she said, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. All of these years, she was just attending church. All of these years, she never knew Jesus. I expect that was a source of her unhappiness. And in that moment, she literally transformed. She laughed, she smiled. In the days to come, she spoke to people. This was not something, this was not normal. She spoke to people. She radiated a joy and peace that I had never seen in her in all of the years that I had known her. And you may say, look, that's ridiculous. Like, that's not, that, that's not possible. Yeah, it is possible. Because it happened to me. It wasn't a 40-year investment, but it happened to me. My husband and I, we went to church um, for a baby dedication. And um, we, you know, we went there, you know, that obligation. We just went. And then the following week, we had nothing to do, so we literally went back. No spiritual reasons. We just went back. We had nothing else to do. So we went back to the church. And then just keep going, 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 week after week. And finally, in a couple of months, they asked um, for, they had another altar call, and they said, hey, for, this is for folks that would like to join the church. And so we went up to, forward to the altar um, to join the church. And the pastor said, well, there's one thing, though, we're going to ask, this is one question I'm going to ask everybody. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? And so he went down the line of people, and he just asked this person, and like, yes, asked this person, yes, asked this person, yes, he's getting closer to me. I'm like, asked this person, yes, and then he got to me, and I said, yes. Now, 
The reason I said yes is because I'm not Jewish, I'm not Muslim, of course I'm a Christian. Now, hold that place. The reason I say I'm a Christian is because we went to church on Easter and we went to church on, uh, you know, on all the big holidays. And again, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Muslim, what else am I? I am, of course, a Christian. My family, we're all Christians, that's what we are. So I say yes. Okay, fine. A few weeks go by, and then some crisis or other comes up. I don't know, you know, there's a crisis a day in real life, right? And I'm on my knees, I'm praying at my bed, and I'm weeping the Christian prayer. Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? And just gently, the Holy Spirit said to me, you know, you never accepted me as your Lord and Savior. You never invited me in. And so I did. And I tell that story to say, your salvation is not in coming to church. Your salvation is not in serving in church. Your salvation is not in being a nice person. All those are great. They're wonderful. Yes, we want you to serve. Yes, we want you to come to church. But if you have not asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, what you have engaged in is good works. And so there's going to be an altar call later. And when you hear that call, if that is you, or if you are watching online and you know that is you, raise your hand, step forward for prayer. Online, you can put your name in the chat and we can reach back out to you. And if you're in the room, you can come forward. Don't be ashamed. It doesn't matter what your neighbor says. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what your family members already thought about you. If this is your moment, push everybody out of the way and come to the altar. All right? There's no shame. But there is salvation. And there is a life with God that awaits you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your saving mercies. We thank you, God, that you pursue us relentlessly, that you never give up. It's impossible for you to give up. Your love for us is so all-encompassing, even unto death. Father, we bless you. We ask that you would give us courage for those that need to come forward, for those of us that have other challenges in life, that we would have the courage to come forward knowing that you await Freedom awaits. Life, true life, awaits. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.